uh, I felt so much this morning, this evening, that um, really what the Lord wanted to do is, you know, I'm going to finish my series, but even more so than, than all these things, I feel like the Lord really just wants to encounter us this evening with his love. Um, I was, I, I like to walk with the Lord. It's one of the things that I do. It, it's, my brain moves at like the Mach 30. Uh, and when I walk, it's like things in my brain kind of come into line. And, and as I was walking with him and I'm thinking through my notes, I'm doing those things. It was like, I was overwhelmed by the reality of more so than anything this evening. If you take anything home, take home the fact that God loves you and that he's for you. You know, I tell you, when we can understand those things, situations in our life begin to change. When we understand this reality that maybe we don't understand it in the fullest, maybe you don't know the depths of the spiritual realm and God has never taken you into the intimate secret places of his heart and you could get there, but I tell you something, when you just know that God loves you and he's for you, that's really going to begin to change specific things in your life. And so I feel like that. I feel like as you're listening to me, <clears throat> uh, be grabbing a hold of what God is trying to do because he's trying to do something specific. Amen? All right. Well, you all receive the notes. And uh, I'm going to finish my official, this is actually my first study notes. So everybody hold your study notes. You got those? Yeah, that's my very first study notes booklet, so you're welcome. <laughs> um, I, I did this series, I called it Killing the Quit, or Kill the Quit, because, uh, you know, one of the things that I've discovered in my own life is that if we can just hold on, God does amazing things. You know, I was actually very frustrated because I knew the Lord had asked me to preach this message. And typically when I preach a message, I like to preach messages that I've experienced, okay? So you want to talk about freedom from fear? I could preach to you about freedom from fear because I was afraid. And I was afraid pretty much my whole life and I overcame. And so because of that, I feel a certain confidence to preach this message because I would say, yeah, you know, I've overcome. And, you know, when I look at this area in my life, you know, I talk about kill the quit, I was actually kind of bothered because, you know, for the majority, I mean, I'm, I'm not 21, I'm, I'm 31, but I really haven't gone through a lot of negative situations. Like, my life has actually been really good. You know, like we talk about, you know, you go from glory to glory to glory, you know, and some of those steps were small for me, but, you know, I, I just felt like that. I was actually bothered at the fact that my life has been so good, right? How many of you know that's a good, it's a good problem to have, okay? And when I asked the Lord, I'm like, Lord, why do you want me to do this? And he said to me that, that, that the, the absence of problems is evidence that this principle works, Okay. And, and that's ultimately what we're going for in our lives is this understanding that things in life, advancement in Christianity, experiencing the promises of God in our life, they don't have to be hard. I, I, can I, because I think that a lot of the times what religion has done to us and, and, and traditional things, and we're so thankful for, for denominations and for the Catholic Church because they preserved the scriptures for us. And so I'm not up here trying to bash them, but what I am saying is that sometimes what's happened as we listen to things like that is they've made us feel as though this journey was hard, that the journey was full of suffering, and somehow in the midst of our suffering, our poverty, our sickness, that God was glorified. And when we finally get to heaven one day, if you're good enough to make it, you're going to understand. Well, I feel like I can't even finish that sentence. Okay. 
Because that's not the way that the New Testament is designed to operate. There's a statement that I love, and I say it all the time that the scripture talks to us about. It's the concept of sweatless victory, where I don't actually have to fight in order to win. That G, well, I'll say that again. You don't want to accept that, that you want to fight to win? You don't have to fight to win. Because Jesus, when he died on the cross for us, this was what he did. It says that, the, that Satan was put under his feet, that he was a defeated foe, which means we aren't actually fighting against the devil. Uh, it's, it's, sometimes when I say it, I'm like nervous because it's like, oh, that's so, it's literally everything we've been taught for so long, that the devil is holding up our stuff, that he's the one stopping our blessing, that he's the one that's making us sick. But if he's a defeated foe, if he's defeated, where does he get his power from? And, and it's a reality for me that I've discovered in my years of serving the Lord is this understanding that, in essence, I experience in my life only and exactly what I believe. That I draw to myself things that I believe are going to happen to me. The scripture says it like this, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now the struggle in the New Testament, because how many of you know the apostle Paul experienced struggle? He experienced difficulty. But the only, the difficulty that we experience in the New Testament is the process of discipline of going from what I used to believe, which was deception, to what I now believe, which is the truth. Because as that is changing in my life, what I'm doing is I'm becoming aware of the fact that there's now a deficit. It's like, I don't know if you've ever been to Africa before, okay? But the thing that's so amazing about Africa, and I think why people there are so content, is they don't actually know the way that North American people live. But you go to Africa, and they're so happy, and they're so, it's amazing when you go there. But you start talking to them about what life is like in North America, and they, you can tell their attitude begins to change. That's the same process that we go through in healing. Before, I didn't realize that I didn't have to be sick. And now that I realize I don't have to be sick, now that is the struggle that I fight against to say, okay, what's going on on the inside of me that's allowing this reality to manifest when I know that this is what's possible? That's the process of struggle in Christianity. You don't have to be sick. You don't have to be broke. You don't have to have relationships that fall apart. You don't have to wonder why you were put here. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to experience anxiety. Now, I tell you, there's, I could show you a hundred scriptures right now that talk to you about the fact that that's just not the experience you were designed to live. In fact, in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, God gave man one, one job, and that was to rule. I rule. It's like a 90s thing, right? Yeah, you rule. (laughs) But that's what we were designed to do. I was designed to rule. There was nothing in this life that has enough power or authority to rule over me. I've been given the right. 
I've been given everything necessary in order to rule. And so as, as I taught this, I'm teaching this message, really it comes out of this place in Galatians 6, which is where it kind of all began for me. And it says this, Galatians 6, 7, most of you know the scripture. It says, be not deceived. This is the, this, I love this opening statement, be not deceived, right? It's like, don't let the devil tell you anything else. Don't let your past tell you that this isn't true. Don't let your, the circumstances that are behind you tell it wasn't true. Don't let the news tell you that this isn't true. Don't let your friends tell you when it's not true. Don't let your family tell you. Be not deceived. Yeah. It says this, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Okay, whatsoever. Everything in our life is a seed. It's a seed either for the good or a seed for the bad. For he that sows to the flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And verse 9 says this. This is where we've been focusing for the last three weeks. It says this, And let us not be weary in doing well, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. That's a very definitive statement. It doesn't say you might reap. It doesn't say, well, if you're good enough and you do things just right, then I guarantee you, it doesn't say that. It says, if you're willing to hold on. Like, if you can just hold on to the promise long enough, the scripture guarantees us that we will reap if we just keep holding on. And so that's really what we've been talking about for the last three weeks is, you know, we use the, the analogy or the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And we saw their story about getting ready to get thrown into the fiery furnace, right? And it taught us four main things about understanding how to go through difficult situations. And it's, it's, all, it's all in your notes, right? We need to understand the nature of God. We need to stand even when things seem to get worse. We need to keep out the doubt. Say, keep out the doubt. That's important. Keep out the doubt. Number four, you need to look for Jesus. And then the last week or two weeks ago, we talked about uh, uh, understanding how to kill the quit with the Apostle Paul. And he taught us the importance of having a mentor in our life. Somebody who could speak to us and see our blind spots was really the main thing that we talked about. Is that there's just some things that we don't have the ability to see. And I need someone in my life who can see those things. We talked about needing a family and how important it was to have the love, the support. Why we have a church family is not just because it's someplace to go. It's because I need to surround myself with people who are going to help me get closer to where I'm going. And number three, the thing that the Apostle Paul taught, and I think the most of all things, if you read his letters, is he taught us what it feels like to control our thoughts because that's huge. And so like I said, we, we aren't engaged in a fight against the enemy. He's already been defeated. In fact, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 and 5 says that the weapons of our warfare, that they, they aren't carnal, but they're actually designed. The weapons that God has given to us in the New Testament, they're for the pulling down of strongholds. And he talks to us that those strongholds are in our mind, that it's the strongholds that, that try to elevate things and situations above the name of Jesus. That's what every war, every bit of weaponry that we've been given in the New Testament, all the tools, all the things that we learn about, they're designed for one thing, to help us to combat negative thinking, old patterns of thinking, old patterns of belief system that would try to keep us stuck repeating history all over again. That's what we do. That's what the New Testament is all about. 
And so the thing is that if we keep moving forward, we'll always get to our destination. The only thing that can stop me from getting to where I'm going is me. Okay, that's it, it's me. It's not the horrible boss that you have. And he's such a jerk. And if it really was that he wasn't there, I would be doing so much better. If it wasn't for my wife, oh God, my wife, don't even get me started. She's, if it wasn't for my teacher, I would be, oh God, don't, if it wasn't for this, if it wasn't for, right, we could do that. But I'm here to tell you this evening one simple fact. There is nothing in your life that's more powerful than the authority that God has given you in order to move your life forward. You are experiencing what you're experiencing only because you believe it's going to happen to you. That's it. And it sounds bad, but on the flip side, you're like, well, that's easy. All I have to do is change what I believe. Just start going in the other direction, okay? And so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, in the next 15 minutes, what does it look like for Jesus? Because how many of you know, I'm sure that you're all thinking, when is this guy going to start talking about Jesus? <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're great. And the Apostle Paul, he's great. But what about Jesus? You know, I love Jesus. I love studying about Jesus and reading about Jesus. He was amazing. And he loves to talk to you. Each and every day, he'll talk to you. He's got so much to say if we just engage in conversation. And so first, what I want to do is I want to define to you what quit looks like. Quit looks like doubt, looks like fear, looks like worry, looks like negativity. It looks like cursing yourself. looks like speaking negative things over yourself. It looks like complaining. And although complaining may not seem like, well, you mean I'm quitting if I'm just complaining? You know, maybe not, but that complaint is a seed of quit. And it's, you ever notice that, that when you complain the first time, it's like, oh, and then it just gets easier to complain. And then eventually it's not long before you, you don't even realize that you're complaining anymore, right? You know what that's like. I mean, at least I know what it's like, right? But that's the thing is that that's why we have to watch those things because this is what quit looks like in our lives. And so the main way that we, understand, that we know what quit is, is ask yourself all the time, what would Jesus do? I mean, it's, it sounds so cliche because we made a bracelet out of it. But I mean, the principle is it stands strong regardless whether you wear a bracelet or not. You want to know what to do in this situation? What would Jesus do? You want to know how to respond to this situation? What would Jesus do? You want to know what to say in this situation? What would Jesus do? What should I be thinking right now? I, I don't know. What would Jesus think about? But it's easy to move forward when we think about things that way. Because the main thing is you have to ask yourself all the time, do I actually want the things that I'm saying? Right? Like, we had somebody, that, my Aunt Jenny came up here, and she gave us that statement, and that's just the way that I like it. <laughs> you know? I feel so sick, and that's just the way I like it. I don't ever have enough money, and that's just the way I like it. Right? Nobody would ever say that, but what we have to do is we have to become very aware of what's coming out of our mouth, because what we say is a window into what we believe. Okay? So let's talk about Jesus for a couple of minutes now because, you know, he had some amazing things. And I think that if anybody can be your biblical hero, it should be Jesus because he exemplifies to us everything that we need in order to succeed. He was a natural man and had to experience everything that we have to experience. But yet in the midst of that, he never swayed, even for one moment, away from what God was asking him to do. That's a hero. Okay, like the Apostle Paul was amazing. He's probably number two on the list, but his statement was, you know, why do I always do the things that I know I shouldn't do and I don't do the things that I know that I should do, okay? That's a far cry away from 
Jesus who was perfect, okay? So the gap is pretty far, but, and the reality is that when we look at Jesus, he gives us very, very practical cues and clues to understand that, wait a minute, we can actually live just like Jesus, that I can experience the supernatural, miracle-working power, the, you know, all the things that he did, all the things that he experienced, if I simply just allow his life to speak to me about what he did in order to stay free. So the very first thing that I would have to say that I've noticed about the life of Jesus is that Jesus had a relationship with his heavenly father. It says it like this in Luke chapter 6, verse, 20, verse 12, that it was night, <clears throat> excuse me, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Okay? Do you know that Jesus talks about there are 25 individual references in the short amount of time of Jesus' life where he talks about, or the disciples are noticing that he's gone away for an extended period of time of prayer. 25 times in his short amount of, in like his short ministry, which spoke to me volumes about the fact that Jesus understood the value and the importance of having a prayer relationship with our heavenly father. Okay. Because even if, even if, even Jesus knew it, I mean, this was the son of God, right? Like he was all God, but even still he knew that it was necessary in order to have this kind of a relationship with heavenly father. Okay. It doesn't matter. It's great that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And it's, you know, it's great that, you know, you could kind of converse whatever and throughout the day. But I tell you something, if even Jesus needed his, you know, off on the side, away from the distractions of life, where it was just him and the Father, it speaks volumes to me about the fact that that's something that I really should try my very, very best to incorporate into my everyday life, okay? Because Jesus said it like this in John 5, 19. He said, very, very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father do, because whatever his father does, the son also does. You see, I tell you, prayer is power. Say that, prayer, prayer. is power. Say it like you mean it. Prayer, prayer. is power. That was weak. But hey, you know, maybe you'll get it in the future. Prayer is power, right? Because what, is, what happens to me during my times of prayer is that God shows me what I'm capable of doing. I mean, that's what he did for Jesus, is that as, God, as Jesus spent time with his heavenly father, what, what God was showing him was the things that he had the ability to do. You know, Jesus would have in the natural thought very naturally about water. Did you know that? Yeah. Like when Jesus was a young boy, he didn't really, I'm sure that he swam in the ocean. I'm sure that he took a bath in water. And what did he realize? He realized when you go in water, you sink. I'm sure Jesus knew that, but what happened in his time with the father, in his time speaking with him and talking with him, what God showed him, what his authority, even over the natural elements. Yeah. And so what happened because of that, now that he knows, he sees into the impossible. Now, because of that, I, he understands, we get to understand everything that we're capable of doing. That's why we pray. Like, again, like I said, it's not some religious ritual that I do. 
I do it because I understand the only one who can tell me what I'm capable of doing is my heavenly father. I mean, Jesus said it like this, greater works will you do. The thing is, we don't, nobody knows the greater works. The only one who knows the greater works is Jesus and our heavenly father. And so because of that, I need to go to him to get firsthand information about what he's calling me to do. Because he's calling each of us to go into the impossible. What? Just like we see with Jesus, when he has the story with the the fish with the coin in his mouth. Okay? Where do you think that came from? I'm sure the night before, God was like, hey, you know, just in case. If you're ever looking for some extra pocket change, just tell him to go fishing. And Jesus is like, what? Like, what are you talking about, God? And he's like, just in case. Right? And then he's presented with the very same thing. I mean, how many of you have had that before? Where you're in the morning and you pray about something and God gives you this information and you're like, I don't even understand what this has to do with. And then you encounter that situation in that day and you're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Okay, maybe you haven't experienced that. Maybe you have experienced on the other side, right? Where the Holy Spirit comes to you and he says, you know, you should take that jacket. And you're like, ha, huh, it's sunny out. What do I need a jacket for? And then, you know, it's like four hours later and you're like, ah, oh, I should have grabbed the jacket. Okay, it's the same thing. Okay, but God prepares us for what we're going to encounter in life. You want to know how to not live difficulty in your life? Get with the Holy Spirit, get with Heavenly Father, and He'll tell you about what you're going to experience. Then you're ready for it even before you get there. Then you get into the middle of it and you don't even notice that it's a challenge. Why? Because you're ready to fight the fight, and so it's not a fight anymore. Okay? And prayer is also the time where we refuel. Okay, this is what we do. I, when I'm in the presence of the Lord, what I'm letting the Lord, what he's refueling me. He's charging me back up. Why? Because we give. We, you don't, maybe you don't even realize it, but we're constantly giving. What, the anointing in our life, the giftings in our life, the, the different things that are happening, we're constantly giving to people, right? That's one of the things that science teaches us is that our energies, okay, like I'm not gonna get weird on you, but our energies, they actually interact, that like when I get around Kate and we're just like hanging out, like we might not even have a conversation, but there's our energies, like the spiritual influences and the things that are happening in our lives, they're interacting. And so that's why, you know, you ever get around somebody and you're like, I don't know what it is about you, but when I get around you, I just feel good. What, that's my anointing. And as I get close to you, what's happening is, oh, now you're, I'm, you're, you're experiencing what I have going on on the inside of me. And so we're giving all the time in different ways. So I choose, I understand, I need to, I need to refuel. What relationship is all about getting the plan, the perspective, and the purpose of heaven. The plan, the perspective, and the purpose of heaven. I'm here not just to come, live, and die. Make a couple bucks in the process, marry a hot chick. My life is more than that. Although I'm thankful that I got all those things too. Okay? What? I, every day, God has a plan for me. I was put here for a reason, and that reason is to affect the world that's around me. Uh, each of us have been put here for a purpose. And so what do I do? When I get into prayer, I'm asking, Lord, what's the plan for the day? What's my purpose? What's the perspective of heaven? I'm looking for God to to teach me, to train me, to increase me so that I can begin to influence the world that's around me, okay? And I mean, when we look at Jesus, a perfect example, when he's living in the most difficult time of his life, would have probably been in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? I mean, this is like do or die. 
This is like make it or break it moment. And he's there and he's sweating blood. He's nervous. And what does he do? He separates himself from people and does what? He goes and prays. Why? Because he knew the only place that I can refuel and get ready for what I'm about to experience is what? When I get into my relationship with my father. I need to hear from him. I need to talk to him. I need to get around him. I need him to speak purpose to me. I need him to, to fill me up with perspective and purpose and vision. What? He didn't go run around looking for his disciples so that he could complain Okay, he wasn't looking to go to the synagogue so he could hear a good message, although those things are great. I tell you something, there's something that your relationship with God can give you that nothing else can give you. So that's number one. What? He had a relationship with his heavenly father. Number two, he had a clear picture of his future. Hebrews 12, 2 says it like this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, now seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. What? The joy that was set before him, the joy set before him. What's that telling us? He had a picture of what was to come. And the picture was clear. It was so clear, in fact, that, well, he's dragging the cross down the Via Della Rosa, whipped and beaten, mocked, shamed, getting ready to be put to the most horrific death, it says this, for the joy that was set before him. You know, a clear picture of what God wants to do in your future can bring joy in the most difficult of situations. It's amazing how when you have the right perspective, it makes living through challenges a whole lot easier. And that's what Jesus did. He understood the, the necessary portion of his life was given so what? That he could continue to clarify the picture that God had given to him. What happens when we have a clear picture? There's nothing that I could do. There's nothing you could do to me to make me quit. Okay? It's like I talk about it all the time. But, you know, you're working out of the gym, you know, and it's good and things are going good. Okay? And then all of a sudden you like walk by a mirror and your, like your arm kind of flexes the right way. And you see that tricep just kind of pop out a little. Okay, and what happens? All of a sudden, now you're motivated, right? Now you want to, I don't want to go to the gym twice a week. I need to go to the gym four times a week, okay? Why? Because the picture, the picture has now become a little bit more clear. It's easy to discipline myself. It's easy for me to do the right thing and choose the right things when the picture of what I'm doing is clear. A clear picture keeps me on course. Okay, Jesus always knew exactly where he was going. I mean, it's the story of Lazarus, right? He, he hears about the news of Lazarus, and you think that he'd run to the city where Lazarus was in. That's not true. He actually went to the next town, which was farther away from where Lazarus was. Okay, Jesus knew his course, and there was nothing that was going to alter the course. You see, so often in our life, the main thing that people experience is that it's easy, they're easily distracted from their course. Having a clear picture, what it does is it gives me focus. It, it, it creates in me, uh, there's a place of no distractions, okay? It keeps me out of the ditches, all when I have a clear picture, okay? And when I develop a clear picture, faith begins to grow in my life, okay? When I know what I'm going for, it's easy for me to get there. And the last one here, number three. Jesus knew the power of his words. I'm closing with this. In Matthew 21, 19, it says this, then he said to it, this being the fig tree. Okay, you know the story. Jesus went to the fig tree, wanted to eat a fig. 
okay? There was no figs on the tree. He must have been really hungry, okay? And he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And the scripture says that immediately the tree withered. There's power in the words that you say. There's power in the words that you say. You know, Kenneth Copeland, the Lord was talking to him and Kenneth Copeland was wanting power to increase in his words. And the, the Lord said to him, I can't actually put power in your words because you don't actually want everything that you say, okay? It's like people saying, oh, my back is killing me. Really? Is it? Is it really killing me? Okay? But the reality is what? The fact that I can say things like that is evidence to me of one thing, that I don't actually believe that my words have power. Saying something like, I hate you. This will never change. If I believe that my words were going to determine my future, how many of you know most of us would probably say nothing? I, yeah, right. It's like that saying. It's like Russian roulette, right? But this is the reality. What? If we want our words to change, if we want our words to have power, we have to understand very, very simply that we have to watch the words that are coming out of our mouth. James 1 says this, For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. This is the man who talks, you know, talks out of both sides of his mouth. Right? In one sentence he loves this, and in the next sentence he hates it. The scripture says, let him not expect anything. Why? Because a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And yes, let me make it clear, you do actually have to say it. You do actually have to say it. Knowing it is not enough, okay? Matthew 21, 21 says this, Verily I tell you that if you have faith and do not doubt, it will be done for you. No. It says if you have faith and do not doubt, and you say to the mountain, be removed and throw yourself in the sea, then it will be done for you. Believing and not doubting isn't enough. You actually have to say the things that you want. Confessing the word, confessing over your situations, watching the words that are coming out of your mouth. Because we speak what we want, not what we have. What happens when I speak when I, what I want, not what I have? That's faith, and faith is activated. And as faith is activated in my life, situations in my life begin to change. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful evening and all the amazing things that you've done. Lord, that over the last three weeks as you've shown us very simple tactics to staying strong and not quitting. Lord, we declare that we're not quitters, we're not doubters, but we declare that we're victorious in you, in Jesus' name.